Today we continue to look at the good news from James, uh, Jesus' brother. And so if you would share in God's good word with me. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness, but be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Family, it's something that's core to each and every one of us. And families come in all different shapes and sizes and different times and different seasons and different ways. Um, I've been a part of the Circle of Care. Um, They've been a part of the United Methodist Church uh, for decades. Uh, But this is the first time that we've ever devoted an entire weekend to really look at the importance of foster care in our state. It it has a a new urgency to it today, Um, and um, I wanted to let you know kind of how we got here this morning. Um, This fall, for the first time, uh, I had a number of families come to me and they said, you know, Pastor Mark, can you tell me a little bit more about foster care? Can you tell me a little bit more about adoption? And at least in a, a few of those cases... Um, that conversation really came out of young families who were trying to have children that couldn't or were trying to have children and they had had a miscarriage and they knew the pain of what it was to want to have a family and not to be able to create one. And, and it's interesting to me that in, in, that in that season, in that moment, uh, they were really touching something that, that is true for thousands of children in our state that they too desperately want a family they, too, desperately want a mom or a dad or a family around them, and they can't have one either at the moment. And so I thought, well, uh, let, me, let me check on that. And then I went to uh, a meeting with Oklahoma Council of Churches, Conference of Churches, and uh, they were speaking uh, about the need. And so I wanted to let you know a little bit uh, about what's going on in our state, and I want you to hear God's word to us as a community, not just as individuals, but as a community of faith. Uh, we're continuing in our sermon series, Love Does, and so um, Love Does, if you haven't read the book, it's a great little book uh, by Bob Goff. Uh, the sermon series doesn't follow the book exactly, uh, but it was the inspiration for the series, and so I want to start, if you have your sermon notes, take them out, uh, with a quote from, from Bob, and, it, and he says this about family. He says, I think a father's job when it's done best is to get down on both knees, lean over his children's lives, and whisper, where do you want to go? Isn't that a great image? Where do you want to go? Every day, God invites us on the same kind of adventure. It's not a trip where he sends us a rigid itinerary. He simply invites us. And so hear him today inviting you today. He said, when Jesus invites us on an adventure, he shapes who we become with what happens along the way. It's not just about the end game, but it's actually in the living out of our faith that we become more and more like Jesus. And we know that this is close to Jesus' heart because if we look at the Gospels, the good news about Jesus, um, he gathers people around him. And and in that day, children were basically cast aside. And in Jesus' day, if you didn't want a child, you could simply put them on the edge of town. It was something known as exposure, and they were just left to die. That's the way it was in Jesus' day. It's changed very much from today. And so people would come to Jesus, and they would bring these little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. You see, they understood that children weren't to bother Jesus. Children had no standing in that day. Yet Jesus said, let the little children, what? Come, 
come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So we know that for Jesus, children had an important place and do hold an important place in the kingdom. Now, of course, this idea about justice and kindness for all uh, wasn't unique to Jesus. He, he simply knew this um, from the prophet Micah 800 years earlier. In the 8th century B.C., the prophet Micah said this, I, He has told you, meaning God has told you, O mortal, what is good. If you really want to know what is good, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? So that when you see the, the crooked places, we're to be about making them straight. When you see an injustice, we're to be about righting that wrong and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is what it is to truly live for God. And then this fall, how many of you know that I, I went to uh, Turkey with uh, the Simance family um, and with, with Michael, and we were l- trying to figure out how to help uh, the refugees. And so I took some photos of these kids uh, that were there, and my heart just broke for them. And we've done some really nice work. You're doing some really nice work over there. Uh, I got another uh, contact from Michael just uh, the other day. And, um, but the thing is, he can only get to those camps uh, on Fridays. And, and, and this, when we were raising the funds and, and helping these kids, uh, some of the folks said to me, uh, either on Facebook or in person, you know, Mark, this is important, but, you know, shouldn't we be doing more about the kids in need here? And if you heard that or if that was you, today's your chance, right? Today's your chance uh, because you're right. Uh, kids, God's kids matter wherever they are. And the kids in Oklahoma matter, uh, just as much as the kids in Syria matter. The kids of God matter wherever they may be. And, and so one of the things that people don't remember or don't know about Syria's population is that one-third of Syria's population last year was under 15 years old. A third of them are under 15. There's a great need there. There's a great need here. And that's why I'm so pleased to have the Oklahoma uh, United Methodist Church's Circle of Care with us today. Uh, They've got a booth out, so if you want to know more, uh, we hope that you'll see Tiffany. We're thrilled to have her. Um, And so as I was preparing for this, um, they shared some statistics with me. And that is that 10,500 Oklahoma children are in need of foster care right now, today, this morning. 10,500. But we only have 4,100 foster homes available uh, in the state. And so um, there have been some good movement over the last few years to try to correct this. And so what Oklahoma leaders are asking right now is for me and and clergy all over the state to come to our people of faith and say, look, we need a thousand new homes by July. That's the real need in our state today. We need a thousand new homes to help take care of these kids that don't yet have a home. And, And the other part of this that can be difficult Um, but is important to note, is that the children uh, in need have experienced trauma. Okay, I mean, if if everything was going perfectly, they wouldn't need to be placed, right? And so these kids have either lost their parents or their parents are not in a place to be able to take care of them. And so it's a very important thing that we have folks be able to come and love and care uh, around these children. Uh, My friend, uh, Brett Thomason, uh, shared with me an article um, that, that just really moved me. Uh, in that article, it, it said that in 2012, just three years ago uh, now, about three and a half years ago, in the United States, 23,439 children uh, in the foster care system aged out, which meant that their whole life in foster care, they wanted a family, and they wanted to be adopted, they, they wanted a family, and so 23,000 people in, in 2012, when they turned 18, never had a family in our own country. That's a lot of kids. That's 64 18-year-olds every day that on their 18th birthday, when they should be having a party with their mom and their dad and their grandpas and friends around them, 
they're alone. And that, that doesn't have to happen. And it shouldn't happen in our country. Because religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to care for the orphan and the widow. That, that's, it's really clear. There's not, there's not really any wiggle room around this one uh, in the scriptures. It, it's just very, very clear. And so if you're following along, point one is this. James speaks of a community's faith, not an individual. So, so when you hear this, don't, don't think to yourself, oh, well, I could never do that. No one's asking you to do that alone. I mean, I, I, you know, when we look at it ourselves in our own family, like, well, I, I couldn't do that myself. But with a community around us, then other things happen. James speaks not of a virtue of an individual, but of a community's faith. And so he says it like this in James 1. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, what do we do? We ask God. We say, well, we don't know what to do with this God. Okay, well, let's ask him who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. It'll be given you. This is what James says. So what we're supposed to learn from this is this. Endurance is not the demonstration of an individual's moral character. Okay? No one's asking you to pull up your bootstraps and save every kid on the planet. No. Endurance comes through the support of God, God's own spirit with you in community, with lots of people around um, to help us through together and together um, all of God's kids uh, can have a family. And so James put it like, puts it like this at the end of chapter 1. Be doers of the word and not merely what? Hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they look like. You see, what James is saying here is that for faith to be real, it must be translated into deeds. Okay? For your faith to be real, for you really to have faith, it has to be translated into deeds. Otherwise, one's faith is only self-deception. Right? You can talk a good game, but it doesn't get lived out. Now, for those of you who've been in church a long time, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, we're saved by grace alone. Yes, that's true. But faith is never alone. Faith, if you really have faith, has to have works come out of that faith. Our founder, John Wesley, in the Methodist movement said this. He said, yes, it's grace alone. He said, but let's look at the thief on the cross. Jesus looks at the thief on the cross and he says to him, truly today, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Yes, that's true. He said, but imagine if the thief were to actually get down off the cross, if he were somehow miraculously saved and on to go live his life. If his life wasn't changed, if he didn't start living for Jesus, you would wonder, wouldn't you? Is he really saved? Did it make any difference in his life? If he continued to, to murder or rob people, you would say, well, no, that's no faith at all. He just wanted off the cross. You see, our faith, if it's really faith, has deeds lived out of it. You're not saved by those faith. Your grace uh, is, is God's grace to you that saves you. But, um, friends, this is, this is about our effort. Faith takes effort. You can't earn God's salvation, but it does take effort on our part. You can't earn it. Earning is about our heart and about pride. So, so James closes like this. He says, if any think they are religious... But do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts. Their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. So James is really laying it out like this. He says, look, friends, you've got a choice to make. You can either live as a friend of God or you can, uh, and, and not as a friend of the world. You've got to make, you've got to make your choice because those are mutually exclusive uh, at times. So you can either live for God or you can live for the world. And, and quite frankly, um, we all have to make those choices. Because when we come to things 
um, like foster care, um, you know, you have to make some choices. Like, well, we would do that, but our life would look really different. You know, we would, we would not do this or that, or, you know, we would have to make some choices around that. Yeah, yeah, you might have to. But so I wanted you to, to be able to see somebody who's actually in the middle of this and, and bring this home. Um, some of you know Jay Smith. He was, uh, used to uh, be a percussionist for us when we were over at Cheyenne Middle School. Uh, he's now an associate minister at New Covenant across town, United Methodist Church, and we wanted to show him to you real quick. Here he is. Uh, the things that really happened to, to push it to the forefront of my wife and I uh, making the decision to become foster parents was um, really Jesus. It was the, the transformation of our lives by the grace of God and the call that he put on our lives to become not just foster parents, but people of compassion in the world around us. And, and it really manifested itself for us specifically in foster care. Of course, the day we got cleared to become foster parents was the day we got our first placement. And so we walked into the agency and this little four-year-old boy walks around the corner and, and I'll be honest with you, we were overcome with just like this deep sadness at the reality of what, the fact that a child needs foster parents. Like that's part of our broken world. Then we were also overcome with this fear and anxiety and excitement and it was like this mixture of all these emotions that ended up kind of playing into that first day. But I'll, I'll never forget that day, seeing my son, uh, realizing that this became real. What can our churches do in order to help with what Child Share is doing, what Circle of Care is doing? It's the first simple step of saying yes. I think we get in the habit of churches of saying no a lot uh, because we have a lot of people asking for our time and our energy. I believe emphatically in the call of James 1.27 that God says that religion that he sees as pure and faultless is to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. I believe that the church has that call regardless of specific calls that's on a church. And so in the midst of all of that is every church has to have some sort of role to play because ultimately it mirrors the role of Jesus. Jesus was an incarnational God. He stepped down and he said, I am in this with you. And so the church, in response to the issue of foster and adoption, should have the same exact process and mindset. We're so proud of Jay. He's doing so great. And it's a wonderful family. And so one of the things uh, that we want to share with you, something that we're doing new today, uh, is if you're following along in your sermon notes, we put a little a Twitter bug by this next one. So uh, if you want to share this with your friends, it's short enough to fit in the characters. So um, faith only matures by what it endures. Will you say that with me? Faith only matures by what it endures. So as we look at the life of Christ, he matures through the wilderness. He matures through his ministry. He matures um, certainly through Passion Week, and we do as well. Um, so as you tweet that out, I want to invite our friends up, uh, Tiffany and Robin and Lacey, if you all will come on up. Uh, we want to invite you all to share a little bit about what you do and your stories. And so, uh, Tiffany, if you'll be right here uh, by me and, and Robin and Lacey, will you all welcome them um, as they come and visit with us today? All right. Well, Tiffany... Uh, is uh, the director for the western half of the, of the um, state of Oklahoma uh, for Circle of Care. We want to welcome you. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Sure, sure. Um, and so, let me see if that thing's on. Okay. Nope, it's not. Now it is. Okay. 
And so if you could uh, take us a little bit through uh, what sort of what are the needs and, and what can we expect when it comes to foster care? So Circle of Care is a child placing agency. Um, so we work in, in correlation with DHS. We get DHS kids placed in our homes. Um, but a cool thing about going through an agency is we add um, extra support that sometimes DHS doesn't have the time to. Um, we At Circle of Care, when you come, we give you a welcome basket. When you get your first placement, we have a co-op. We have support groups. We have community involvement funds, referral incentives. We have respite caregivers. And we have really, really great parties. So um, those are just some of the services we offer to support. Um, also, just kind of going along, along the lines of that, um, we are asking people to, you can be involved on different levels. Um, you can become involved as a foster parent and that's what we hope you do. Uh, we want you, if God's calling you, we want you to jump into that full-time foster parent. But if you're not quite ready to jump into that opportunity, we also have um, respite providers, which you'll get certified just like a foster parent, but you're watching kids more on a short-term basis when foster parents need a break. And then a third option is if you have a friend at your church who wants to be a foster parent, you can become their alternate caregiver, which is you don't have to go through the full process. It's just a background check. Um, and you do some of that yourself, don't you? Yes. My husband and I are alternate caregivers for our family, and it's really fun. Um, we are an alternate caregiver for an older couple, and they have two babies, and sometimes they need breaks, so we get to play with babies on some weekends. It's fun. Awesome. Okay, so in a perfect world, uh, we would have people in our congregation that the church would surround and support that, that would be a full-time foster parent w whenever they need that placement. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, and they would take any kind of kid that might have a need. Um, but like if you're like me and you're really scared, like you never want to see a zero to two-year-old again in your own home, it, is that okay? Yes, that's perfectly fine. Um, we serve kids zero to 18 years old. Okay. And um, during the certification process, you can kind of tell, we talk to you about your preference. Like do you, what, what age kid will work best with your family? What um, personalities fit best with your family. We try to, we really try hard to find kids that will fit with your family and what's good for your family. Okay, so in terms of process, about how long does it take to, to do? What does that look like? Yes, so there's a lot of paperwork involved, um, but it's totally worth it. Um, the first step is coming to an information meeting. Um, we have them monthly. Um, our next information meeting is Monday. If people are tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow. If Good. you're if you're super excited and ready to do it, um, and then um, we, you have to go through a 27-hour training, and you'll get a home study done on your home, which is a big report that just we ask you tons and tons of personal questions, um, just to make sure your family is safe, um, and then. Uh, then there's quite a bit of paperwork. And then you get a kid, but it normally takes like, quickest is about 60 days to like 120 days to fully go through the whole process. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. This is our, our side from the Methodist side. So if you'll hand the mic over, uh, we wanna celebrate what DHS is doing and the good strides to help get kids in, in safe places. <laughs> um, 
This is Robin. My name's Robin Gibson. Um, I've worked for DHS for a long time. Um, I work in permanency planning now. Um, and one of our, our main focuses um, is really just to make sure kids are safe and make sure that they, have, they find permanency. Um, I think kind of as Mark alluded to, the number of kids who age out of care um, to sometimes homeless shelters um, is, is pretty astounding nationwide. So we want to make sure that our young people have not only um, the different levels of care that you can provide as far as um, just, just having families and being a family and being respite or being alternate caregivers, but also um, to be connections and to develop, to help children, help young people um, develop connections. You don't necessarily have to be um, their parent to have a connection with them um, and to help them, help guide them through their lives. Um, so there's a lot of different ways even, you know, that we can help support young people in, in their permanency. Um, but our goals are to make sure children are safe and, and to make sure that they have permanency in some way. And those permanency options that are legal permanency are um, adoption, reunification with their families, and sometimes guardianships. Those are ways that children can exit care um, and still have legal, what we call legal permanency. Um, but there are other things that we call emotional, relational permanency. And those are the, um, the permanent connections and belongingness and things that, um, that I spoke about. Awesome. Now, who's to your left? Let us know. We have a special guest with us today. This is my friend, Lacey. Um, I'll let you. <laughs> I'll let you talk. <laughs> I'm Lacey. Um, I did Lacey's adoption almost 10 years ago. <laughs> um, I grew up in the system in DHS uh, from the time I was a baby. All the way up, my parents adopted me two weeks before I turned 18. They were a, 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 what we, we used to call stranger placements. Now we call them non-related. Um, do you want to talk about that? They were a relative family. Um, oh, <laughs> they're a pretty awesome family. Um, Lacey got to help pick them because you, um, we used to talk about the home studies. And um, there were a lot. There were a lot of home studies for Lacey. We de-identified them so she would really be able to just read about the families and not know who they are. And she picked her family, um, which is, is really important for young people to be able to have some autonomy and some control. I think a lot of times people go in not having any control, mm -hmm. and it's a little more scary that way. But uh, my parents are really, really good people. I, I mean, it kind of says a lot that they adopted me two weeks before I turned 18 because taking on a 17-year-old is really hard in your own child. So um, taking on one that had, like I said, I grew up in the system, so taking on one that had been... Walls. Yeah, probably like levels and walls, and um, I had a lot of attachment issues and stuff, but I think that having a heart like that says a lot um, children, more than anything else, need connections. And a lot of times when they're coming into foster care or um, coming into new placements, they've lost the connections with the only people that they know. And so to have someone that they can grasp onto and hold is so much more than words could ever say. Um, a lot of times it's scary saying that you want to be the one to to be that person, because it's hard on both ends. I mean, it's hard on the foster parent who has to go into it knowing eventually this commitment that they've made to this child and this relationship, they're gonna have to encourage them going back, because that's usually the end process, or being adopted by someone else if you cannot. So I think that um, 
We need more people willing to open their hearts, knowing that they could have to let go and they could, you know, be hurt by it. But at the end of the day, it's a celebration for everybody, whether the child gets to go back home or the child is adopted, because there's not really anything else you can replace like your family. Um, family is everything. Family is who is there for you on holidays, who is there for you on birth, who is there for you on your high school graduation. And um, I was really proud to know that I was graduating high school and that I went to college and through each one of those milestones, my parents were there for me, cheering me on. Even my, my soccer games, um, the birth of my children, my marriage, the one thing that was constant that I never had any other part of my life that was constant was my parents and my family. And that um, that said a lot for me. It did a lot for me. My mom helped me fill out college applications. Uh, without her, I wouldn't have known what to do. <laughs> so it's just little things like that. And um, to be able to do that for someone, it goes a long way, especially when you have the option of being able to show them Jesus as well and to know that you're doing it through God's love and with God's help and the fellowship of people that also believe in the same thing that you do around you and to help bring them up in that. Because even if they do get back with their families, they're going to remember you. They're going to remember what it was like with you and they're going to hold to that. Um, I am the mom I am today because I had great foster parents. I had great families that were willing to take me in and make me a part of their family. And I had great adoptive parents. Way to go. We all thank them for me. Yeah, you, yeah, you can. Bless your heart. You were so nervous. You did really great. Really great. Uh, friends, I want you to know how rare and special it is. Uh, to be able to have Lacey uh, visit with us today. Um, primarily because you, you can't have foster kids that are not 18 uh, doing that kind of work. And so it's really hard to find anybody who can actually even tell you uh, what that is and what, what's that, what that's like. And so I just I want to say thank you uh, again. Thank you so much. So what do we do with this, friends? Um, if, you, if you've been here today, uh, and the Spirit has been tugging on your heart or talking to you, um, one of the ways we know that is by uh, our cheeks getting wet. Uh, not because we're sad, but just because the Lord uh, is, is moving. So I want to share with you uh, this quote that we came across this week as we were preparing uh, for um, this sermon. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay attention, closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come from and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next. God's wooing us to that place where we have a better and better life in this world and the next, but not just for us, for all people, for all people. And so as our action steps, um, I want to encourage you to ask God, what do you want me to do with this? And we just ask him, right? You may not know, and that's okay. So, so let's, just, let's just pray together as a family. Talk to someone. Uh, talk to a friend or a family member. Do you, th do you think that's something? Could you see us doing that as a family? What do, you want us, what, what do you want me to do with this, God? And so secondly, then ask your family, right? Uh, we've done this with our family, Chantel and Noah and I. We, we sat down around the table and we said, well, well, what can we do? That's an important question. But the next question is even more important. What will we do? What will we do? What is God calling us to do? What can we do? What will we do? 
And then finally, I want to encourage you to say yes. Like Jay said, it's, it's, we're, we're hardwired just to say no to stuff. So I want, I want you to really say yes to God to the next step. Uh, you're not, you don't have to be all the way in. Just, just say yes to go to the information meeting tomorrow. Say yes to visiting with Tiffany um, after service. Say yes to visiting with, with Lacey or Robin and just find out more about what, what maybe you can do. Maybe you know somebody who's in foster care or, or a foster family. Maybe you can be supporting them. Take a next step. Take a next step. And friends, this is, this is so important because the great thing about Lacey is she's a success story. and She's married. She's got kids. She's got a great life. Um, but not everybody gets a family. So I want to show you a, a letter that Tiffany shared with me uh, from a real uh, foster child. Um, and so here, here's the letter. Things I want in my family. It's really simple. I want food and water. Don't hit on me. A house with running water and lights. I want love. Mom and dad don't fight. I want no drugs. Don't kill my pets. Help with school, nice clean clothes, no lice, no bug in the house, clean house, clean bed with covers. Don't sell my toys. Treated fair. Don't get drunk. Have a TV in the house. Let me keep my games, school stuff, nice shoes, my own comb, soap, nice house, and a safe house with air conditioning and heating, and a toothbrush. Now, I, I, I'm pretty sure we can do that list, right? We can, we can do this list. So, I want to invite you to pray and think and act and to be doers of the word, not hearers only that God's kingdom would come to earth. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.